Ecclesiastes this morning. If you want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 10 this morning. And, and Solomon has continued to talk about how life is unfair. Now, last week we saw, uh, as we looked at the first part of chapter 8, we saw that, that God is our ultimate authority, that we submit to government because of our faith in God, not, in, not because of our faith in government. And so we, we talked about God being the ultimate authority in our life, and, and we kind of see more of that today. But he's going to tell us once again that life is unfair, and <clears throat> I think we know that, right? I mean, we, we kind of get that. We know, we know this from the time we can speak. How many times have you heard a toddler say, that's not fair? We know life's not fair. And we're going to see that again this morning as, as, uh, as Solomon speaks. He's, he's going to tell us about unexpected outcomes. Unexpected outcomes. Let me, uh, a while back, Jill got this uh, uh, email from a friend, and I, and I found it just fascinating, so I wanted to read part of it to you. It, uh, it says, The inventor of the treadmill died at age 54. The inventor of gymnastics died at 57. The world, the, the guy that has the world bodybuilding, the most world bodybuilding championships died at 41. The best soccer player in the world before Messi was Mardona, and he died at age 60. Now, contrast that with these unexpected outcomes. The inventor of KFC died at 94. The inventor of Nutella died at 88. The cigarette maker Winston died at 102. The, the inventor of the guy, that, the, the guy that, that figured out how to smoke opium in a, in a hookah, he died at age 116 and only then because of an earthquake. The inventor of Hennessy, the, the uh, brandy, died at 98. So tell me, where did doctors come up with the idea that exercise it, it makes us last longer? Where did this, think about in nature, think about the rabbit. The rabbit is always moving and lives to two years old. The turtle barely ever moves and lives to 400. The outcome isn't always what we expect. Now, I can't vouch for, the, for, the, for any of the, the, the accuracy of any of this, but it still brings the point up that, that we get unexpected outcomes. And because we're made in the image of God and because we have this, this sense of justice and fairness, we see that life is not fair. We don't get the expected outcome. And that's what Solomon is going to talk about today. So let's read... Ecclesiastes chapter 8, it will be up here behind me, starting in verse 10. In such circumstances I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile, because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly. The heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times, and prolongs his life, I also know that it is, it will go well with God-fearing people 
for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say this too is futile. So I commend enjoyment, because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. So let's kind of work our way through this. Solomon first addresses the unexpected funeral of the wicked person. He says that, that he's praised in the city where he did his wicked acts. We have actually seen this in our time, have we not? That no matter how much, how wicked a person is, it, it, depending upon how they die, they're praised. We've seen it. We've seen this in our own time. And, and, and Solomon says this is unexpected. This is not how it should be. There's a, you know, there's an old saying among pastors. Uh, Live your life so the preacher doesn't have to lie at your, at your funeral. I was at a memorial, Joe and I were at a memorial service yesterday for a man. Uh, nobody had to lie at this guy's funeral. He had, he had 55 years of ministry in Arizona. He was one of my mentors. He's a great guy. Uh, former Marine, so I, we got along well. And, and uh, <laughs> I said that just for Mike's benefit. <laughs> and... Uh, and great, nobody had to lie at his funeral. So, so live your life so that the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. That's kind of what Solomon's telling us. And verse 10 seems to give us the impression that this guy was wicked, but that he put on a show. He went in and out of the temple. He, put on, he looked holy and righteous and humble, and he wasn't. And these are the most insidious kinds, aren't they? The kind that look like they're following Christ, but are far from Him. The ones that put on a show. That's what, what Solomon sees here. There are folks that put on a show that aren't really following God at all. But they come to church and they do their, 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 uh, their holy act, but they're not following God at all. And, and that, that shows. That shows. You know, I have to, uh, we have to remember that it's about living the truth in a world that lies. It's living the truth in a world that lies. I, I will tell you that people in ministry, pastors, uh, worship leaders, you know, whatever type of ministry, they're not immune from temptation. As a matter of fact, there might even actually be more in some ways. So every ministry leader has to remember to live authentically has to remember to live according to the truth. Even ministry leaders have to remember this. Every Christian needs to remember to live according to the truth. And then he talks about the unpunished. He talks about how the unpunished, because sin isn't immediately punished, then it creates more sin. Now there's a couple of things that are really, really interesting about this statement. The first one is, that, that we can understand that sin actually recruits sinners. Sin recruits sinners. Here's what I mean by that. 
if you see somebody doing something, a sin, doing something wicked, and they get away with it, you're tempted to try. Sin recruits sinners. Byron Banta, a preacher I, I, I respect a lot, was talking yesterday in this memorial service it, uh, about two pianos. If I put two grand pianos on this, on this platform facing each other, and I come to one of them and I strike the B-flat key, the B-flat strings on the other piano will start to vibrate. Sin recruits sinner. Virtue recruits the virtuous. Sin recruits sinners. So not only does the, is the one emboldened to continue to sin because he's not caught, but others see that he's not caught and are recruited to sin as well. It's, it, when it goes unpunished, it recruits sinners. This, again, is something that we see in our culture right now. When, uh, when crime is not punished, it, re- it, it recruits more crime. It recruits more criminals, and it, and it emboldens the, ones, the, the criminals. We see this. We see this acted out on, the, on our 10 o'clock news every night. And then Solomon again says that life is unfair. The wicked get what the righteous deserve. The righteous get what the wicked deserve. And that's unfair. And, and we have this, this sense of justice, this sense of fairness from the one who made us. We're made in his image. He is ultimately just and fair. He is completely just and fair. And though our sense of justice and fairness is tainted by sin, we still have that sense from our Creator. We want things to be fair. We want things to be just as long as it's to somebody else. (laughs) Right? Because if somebody else sins against me, I want justice. But if I sin against somebody else, well, you know, I'm going to explain it. Right? Let me explain to you. We We want justice. We want fairness. And that's because we're made in the image of the ultimate just and fair God. So I'm going to tell you what I told you the last time we looked at at life being unfair. It's been unfair since Genesis 3. It's been unfair since the first sin, since the first selfishness. Now I consider selfishness to be the root of all sin. The first sin and the root of all sin. Selfishness. And the world has been unfair since we've been selfish. And it's not going to change. It's not meant to change. It's meant to drive us to the ultimate just and fair God. When we want justice, when we want fairness, we find it in one place, and that's our God. We find justice tempered in mercy. We find fairness tempered in in grace. That's the only place we're going to find justice and fairness. So what Solomon and then Solomon points to eternity. Those that live uh, the, the truth, those that that are God fearing, as he says, it goes well with them. And those who who are not God fearing, it does not go well with them. So what happens in this life has eternal value. What happens in this life has eternal perspective, and we have to keep that in mind. So we must live the truth. We must live the truth, even though the world 
continues to lie, we must live the truth. Solomon points out that there's a difference, that there's a, a, apparently a day of reckoning. Now, we understand this. There is a day when what we did in this life is judged. And, that, and, and, and it's judged against an objective standard. It's judged against truth. What we did matters. What we do matters. What we say matters. What we think matters. And it's all going to be judged on a day at, at some place and some time. Solomon points us to that. He, he wouldn't be able to say, well, it goes well with these, but not well with these, if there wasn't this day. Now here's where the world lies to us and says this day never happened. They say there is no judgment. And they say that because they want to continue in the sin they're sinning. They say that, they lie and tell us that there's no day of reckoning so they can do whatever they want to whoever they want, whenever they want. That's how the world lies to us. An easy example of trying to remove God is last week we, we read some of the statements of our, our founding fathers in this country. And we can see from those statements that they were godly men. They were God-fearing men who, who built this country on the basis of Christian values. Now, you will find all over the Internet stories that say these guys were not godly men, that they were not setting up the country on Christian values. The world lies. They try and remove God. Our Constitution in this country says the Creator. We are given rights by the Creator. It names the name of God. And yet, they're trying to take it out. They're trying to remove God from this country. Because if they can't remove the Day of Judgment, they at least they want to remove the judge. Because if they can remove the judge, then the day of reckoning, the day of judgment, doesn't happen. This world is lying. This society is lying. We must live the truth in a world that lies. The world continues to lie to us. It tells us there is no God and we know better. We know the truth. It tells us that, that, that what we do and what we say doesn't matter. It's a matter of choice. It's a lie. We know the truth. We know God. The world continues to lie to us. We, we must. Our challenge is to live the truth of God in a world that lies. Now, I will tell you that we're not the first ones to face this. Solomon's talking about it. And Solomon lived a long time ago. And he's talking about it. So, so he had to live the truth in a world that lies. The church from its inception had to live the truth in a world that lies. Every Christian has had to live the truth in a world that lies. That's our challenge. That's the mission God has given us, is to live the truth in a world that lies. Live the, the truth of the revealed will of God. This is it right here. This is the revealed will of God. You've heard me t tell you several times, this was not written to inform you. It was written to transform you. 
it was written to change your life. Not simply to give you information about God. It was meant to change your life, to transform you. This is the truth. And so we live according to the truth. Now there are those that, that, that say of the Constitution and of Scripture that these are old documents and they don't apply to our world today. It's a lie. It's a lie. Living the truth of Scripture, living the truth of God, has always been the way to have a good life. It's always had its enemies. It's always had it, it, those that come against this life. But it's always been the key to a good life. Living the truth of God. Living the truth of Scripture. And then Solomon ends talking about a life of joy. He commends to us enjoyment. Verse, uh, verse 15, so I commended enjoyment because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. <clears throat> we, he, he has told us back at the end of chapter 5, he told us that joy only comes from God. And he told us that, that we can actually live a life so occupied with the joy in our heart that, that the unjust and unfairness doesn't bother us. We can actually live that way. We can live by the joy of God in our heart. We can live so that every, everything we eat, everything we drink, everything we do is in the name of God and enjoyable because of it. That's what Solomon commends us to do. That's what Solomon recommends. Solomon's prescription for life, pretty simple. Live a God-fearing life. A life lived by the truth of God. The truth of God. And find joy in serving God. Find joy in what you eat, what you drink, and how you work. That's, that's Solomon's simple prescription for a life that matters. A life that, that is full of joy. For a life that has meaning and purpose. Live the truth find joy in serving God. And you have those two things. Do you live the truth of God in your life? Do you live with so much joy in your heart that you can, enjoy, you can truly enjoy what you eat, what you drink, and what you do in serving Him? Because you can. I'm going to ask that you bow your head. And just consider the question, do I know the truth of God? Do I know the truth that Jesus Christ came and died in my place on that cross? He, he came to die for my sin. And He came that I might have life, a life that matters. Do you know this truth of God? Because you can. It's a simple prayer. You just pray along with me in your own words and say, God, I know I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. I've done things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died on that cross to pay my price. To pay the price for my sin. He took my place on that cross. And so I ask you to forgive me because of His finished work on that cross. 
and I ask you to come into my life and give me the joy that I read about here. The joy of eating and drinking and serving. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, can you let somebody know? Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor, let them know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but you realize you're living according to what the world says, not what God says. Will you take this moment to once again commit to living the way God says to live, to living the truth in a world that lies? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this reminder, Father, that sin is contagious and that it recruits sinners. Keep us mindful of this. Keep us mindful of living the truth in this world full of lies. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.